thinking about all these things. What are their employees saying? What are their consumers saying? And then altering their product, their messaging to make sure that they do the right thing. And in the end, it's like not just the right thing to do because this is going to help grow your business ultimately. Because if there's audiences that you're not communicating with and not connecting to, then it's an opportunity. So that blind spot can be turned into an opportunity with sort of the right massaging. You're listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. Conversations with industry leaders on new trends and products that can grow your business. Today, host Jordan Roger Smith sits down with Lataria Coy, head of ethical media and DEI champion at Influential. Together, they discuss the significant impact diversity, equity, and inclusion can have and what that looks like on both the individual level and for an organization. Lataria, you're probably the first head of ethical media that I've met. So I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your role, what Influential does. And yeah, and really talk a little bit about being a head of ethical media. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So yes, ethical media is definitely a new space. I'm super excited about it as it's growing. Many marketing and media companies are thinking about the way that we become change agents because advertising is so powerful. We reach audiences, we connect with them. And so we want to make sure that we're responsible in the way that we market and the way that we spend money. So Influential is an influencer marketing company focusing on media measurement and connecting influencers with brands. And because it's a new industry, we just have an opportunity to make sure that we're doing the right thing sort of out the gate. And while I spend most of my time thinking about diverse creators, it also extends to just CSR work in general. We work with values-driven organizations, nonprofits often, and we think a lot about how do influencers impact teens and tweens and how do we ensure that brands engage with those communities in a way that makes sense and in the way that's responsible. And so when it comes to being the head of ethical media, like how did you end up in that role and sort of what, what was your background or story and desire to sort of really push forward with DE&I, both at such a professional level in a sense? So my background is in advertising, media, marketing. I've been doing it for a very long time. So I'm sort of a traditional marketer, so to speak. So I've worked at publishers at the New York Times for many, many years. I worked at media agencies. And I have always sort of been involved in DNI work as an employee from an employee standpoint. And in the past, especially when I first started my career, the two didn't really mix you had your affinity groups and you supported all of these things sort of outside of your of your job and it very rarely bled into your to your role fast forward 2020 i think a lot of companies a lot of industries took a hard look at themselves to think about how do we show up as a company how do we make sure that we center diverse employees and and sort of do the right thing and so I found myself at a media agency at the time where we were starting to figure it out. Unfortunately, with the, after the murder of George Floyd, I was in a role, basically the only diverse person in a room, thinking about how do we show up as an agency and how do we craft crisis communications around the, the murder of George Floyd. And I was always never really talked a ton about race and ethics and things like that at work. But I felt compelled to do so. And in doing so, had the ear of many senior leaders at the company and was able to help all of the efforts that were happening sort of behind the scenes in infinity groups 
and bring those conversations to the agency leadership. And from that, the agency leadership was super excited about it, open to it, and real change started to happen. And so I went back to doing my media and marketing job and, and then was asked to lead DE&I at my agency. And we thought about that a little bit differently because there are obviously there are diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners who they're in that space. They work across many, many industries. But the reason why I stepped into this role with all of my background, with all of the history, is that we need also we need DNI practitioners to be living and breathing the work because diversity, equity, and inclusion looks different from company to company and industry to industry. So in influencer marketing, just thinking about that space is brand new. We also are privy of a lot of problems with regards to how often diverse creators are used in content. It's sort of an industry-wide problem. And so I felt like working with Influential to solve the problem at our company can also scale to solve the problem in the industry. So I think about my job in large part as like, with regards to my company, how do I shape my company's, the way we think, the way we do business? And then how does that impact the entire ecosystem? How does that impact the entire industry? Just thinking back to my own Growing up, it was DE and I was just not something you ever came across or discussed. Even going into my early years of my career, it's something that never really was mentioned. And so, for people that are approaching this for the first time, or particularly the audience that you're talking about, whether it's creators, young professionals, Gen Z, who are more actively engaged in this already, but what does DE and I look like for them now when they're engaging online and how does it differ from efforts in the past for older generations like myself who who never came across it yeah i think generally speaking the younger generation gen z millennials have different expectations they expect for the world to be diverse and inclusive they expect for there to be space for multicultural people for there to be space for people with disabilities and it's just sort of a given and I think this generation in particular votes with their pocketbooks and even makes job. They decide to work for companies based on whether or not there's a values match. So that wasn't really the case. I'm Gen X. That wasn't really the case for me. That There was sort of a separation between my work life and personal life. There was a separation between like how I spent my dollars and my own personal values. But that is becoming more and more murky, more and more blended. And with that, I think that kind of pressure, the consumer pressure, the pressure that the generation is applying means that companies need to change and evolve in a way that I think is where we've been needing to go for many, many years. But it's really happening fast and accelerating, which is exciting to see. And so how do companies actually approach the topic in a sense? And how how do they make sure that it isn't just like a a one a flash in the pan or something that they do for six months and then it, it peters out like how do they sustain that within themselves and, and even go further in sort of supporting marginalized communities yeah that's a fantastic question because in the past these efforts have been sort of fads even we see it like in television like i remember in the 90s there was sort of a lot of black television shows and then that sort of petered out and now you sort of see a resurgence, like these things sort of ebb and flow. I feel like this trend and spending media dollars wisely 
and ethically and responsibly is not really going away. And I think in large part because of the voice of the next generation sort of putting that pressure. I also think that a lot of people have made huge investments in it. And the other thing that is really driving the fact that it's not going away is that it's working. So what we see is like what I think in the past was sort of a box checked with regards to how I spend my media dollars against all these different segments. So I want to reach Asian Americans. I want to reach the Latinx Hispanic community, just box checking and that's all. Now what's happening is that we're seeing advertisers and brands show up in these communities and that's really making a meaningful impact on their bottom lines. And when that happens, you just get more investment. So historically, advertising in general was very, very, very white, very cisgender, very standard. And it was only in like the 1960s and 70s, things sort of changed. And there was some pressure to pressures to sort of add multicultural people in creative and content. And how do we create stories and messaging for different segments of people? And there was tons of multicultural investment that came through media agencies that came through advertisers. And then something happened. They basically disinvested in a lot of those groups and they had a lot less budget to work with. And instead, they started going back to general markets. So meaning if you're an advertiser, you spend all of your money across sort of standard media where all Americans are going to be tuning in and then felt like, well, what we can do generally will speak to every single segment, but that didn't really work. And now what we're seeing is an investment, a reinvestment in thinking about like, how do we really speak authentically to all these communities and make a huge difference. So for influencer marketing, it's because it's super local and special, like very niche. So the people who I follow on Instagram says a lot about me. Like there's something that I identify with. Maybe they live in New York City like I do. Maybe they're a mom like I am. Like all of these things you have, people kind of connect with these influencers. So Influencers are pretty unique in that they can really authentically speak to communities because they engage with their audiences all the time. Every single day, their followers know what they eat for breakfast and that they take their kids to school every day, all these things. And these connection points, meet, sort of brands are able to really capitalize on them and really think and come at an audience in a very authentic way. Because if my favorite influencer is recommending that I use this laptop, then that is going to like resonate a little bit differently than it would if I just saw an ad for a laptop. And so that intimacy, I think, is particularly interesting for diverse influencers because we all know that people want to see themselves in content. We want to see, we as people want to see yourself reflected in any kind of content. And so when you see that a, when a brand sees you and a brand feels you, you are all of a sudden sitting up and paying attention. And consumers are really driving this. So we notice that like in every single segment, you want to see yourselves in social content. And when you already have consumers driving that, then you're going to have brands really leaning in in an authentic way. And influencers allow brands to show up more authentically to audiences because there's automatically like a casualness to the relationship. There's always automatically some intimacy. And so there's sort of a halo effect for brands. I just want to touch on the point you mentioned about being genuine. 
And there are a number of very large companies out there who have in their past passively or maybe even actively not supported a particular group. And this can happen even to a company that hasn't been around a very long time with controversies and things like that. So how how do brands and businesses who have these imperfect pasts like reconcile that so they can come across as genuine if they do meaningfully want to engage it engage in this way that you just described that's a great question and i think one that stops many brands from dipping a toe in the water and doing what's right i think probably the first step is that brands need to really be honest about about the past about how they've ignored certain communities how they've shown up what's the perception of the brand in the community really think about that i also think the one of the best steps a brand can take is to think about and talk to their employees. Like what are employees, what do employees think you should do? What, especially if those employees are diverse in those communities are ones that you've ignored because there's so much knowledge and so much investment in employees to help guide a brand's direction. And if you get that wrong, if sort of a brand gets out in front and decides this is what I wanna do and we're gonna sort of bulldoze our way through that, there's a disconnect there, and I think it's something valuable to sort of look at. The other thing brands need to do is just sort of try. Start start somewhere. Start small. You don't have to have these like sort of big gestures, but start and test, and then also be in constant dialogue with your clients it's, and your customers. There's, you can actually do that now. So Meta, Facebook, it's very easy to have a dialogue with consumers now. Honestly engage with, with consumers and then sort of figure out, like, is it a messaging thing? Is it just my marketing? Is it that this product excludes communities? How do I fix that? Because sometimes it's not just in the messaging and the marketing, it's oftentimes in the actual service that you're providing, the product that you're providing, and think about how, to, how can I make this more accessible? How can this appeal to the Asian American audience? Those conversations are important to, to think about and often missed by brands. But I think there are many brands that are getting it right and thinking about thinking about all these things. What are their employees saying? What are their consumers saying? And then altering their product, their messaging to make sure that they do the right thing. And in the end, it's like not just the right thing to do because this is going to help grow your business ultimately. Because if there's audiences that you're not communicating with and not connecting to, then it's an opportunity. So that blind spot can be turned into an opportunity with sort of the right massaging. For now, we've talked about how you can apply DEI when it comes to marketing and speaking to different audiences, but you can also apply it in, in many other ways. And you spoke there about how it can impact products and the way you think about even your own organization. There's the famous, I don't know if it was famous, but there's the viral example from a number of years ago where there was the soap dispenser that just didn't work with on a black man's hands because no one had ever actually thought to test it in that regard. And so for companies where there are many, for, for companies thinking about this topic, where else can they apply it within their organization and what sort of the significant impacts it can have on their operations when they think about applying it holistically across the business and not just sort of on the way they talk to consumers? That's a fantastic question. I think brands have to make sure that they're hiring diverse people because you're always going to have blind spots. We all have them. I have them. We all have them. And so making sure that there are multiple voices in the room 
that are in constant dialogue and that each voice is valued and and they feel people feel like they're able to contribute because then you have less problems. So the reason why you have a ton of technology where, for example, you just use that the black man's hand isn't seen or we, we see that in self-driving cars and things like that is because the engineers, they don't come from diverse backgrounds. It's the reason why seatbelts are made and airbags are made to only protect or test it on a male of a certain size. And so figuring out who is in the room, get people in the room to test these things, to pressure test these things. And I feel like being in the room is a part of it for sure, but just making sure that those rooms are spaces where people are actively engaging. And as a leader, for me, I'm always thinking about who's not speaking, what's not said, who do I talk to after the meeting to make sure that I get their input? Because thinking about people who are extroverts, introverts, things of that nature, is it comfortable? Is this person holding back? It's hard to get people to like really lean in all the time, but if you do the work to really suss out what's missing and then you create an environment where people feel like they can share and and can contribute, then I think you'll have less of that. It won't be perfect, but I think you'll have less of that. I also think that you have to be okay to say that we messed up, right? So how do we go back to the drawing board and fix this with inclusivity in mind? Because mistakes are going to happen and we are not going to get this right all the time, but how do we fail fast and restart with an eye towards making sure that folks are in the room, folks are contributing, and that we're creating inclusive spaces? Because I feel like you'll just have less issues if that was the case. And so what would be some of the ways that brands and companies could in sort of embed that into their rhythm of business or embed that into their systems or their training? And I guess thinking along that same line, like what would what are some of the roadblocks that they generally encounter that they need to overcome? Or what are the general roadblocks that you have seen that people need to encounter that they're likely going to see? You mentioned about needing to take time and it's likely you'll get it wrong. And so there shouldn't just be that sort of initial complete reversal of it if you do get it wrong. Like what would be some of the other things that the people really wanted to take the step that that generally hold them back that you can help share some light on how they can overcome those. So I guess I'll start with the systems that need to be in place. And I think DNI as a function of operations is huge because we need to build it into the systems because if you don't, bias will just seep in to the problem. Because if you don't if you don't set up your systems correctly, And I feel like it's not just one job, it touches so many different things. So you mentioned earlier, training, development, recruiting is a huge one, mentorship, succession planning, all these things have been systematized at companies, but I feel like we need to look at them through a DNI lens and that's what we're doing at our company. But I'll give you an example of sort of when when it's not ideal. When it's ideal, it's sort of easy to do. When it's not ideal, it's difficult. So thinking about recruitment, There are, I was in an organization once where there were 300 vacancies. That's a lot of people to to hire. And while we have ideals to ensure that we have, that we have, that we are hiring diverse folks, that we are tracking them through interview process or resume interview process, and then essentially offer all of these steps basically add more time to the recruitment team schedule. And if they want to just put butts in seats, then there's a conflict with moving fast versus sort of getting it right. 
And I completely understand that. So I think the faster you can build systems to make sure that they're just kind of second nature and that people are just, it's a part of what we do, the better, because there are all these pressures that make it really hard to do. Other systems have to include like succession planning, which is huge for many companies in that it's not even thought about because the people in the room, you sort of know who's going to be the next C-suite employee and things of that nature. But we have to think about who is next. And when we recruit people, like how are we having them matriculate through the company? And I don't think there's like a one size fit all thing, but it's just that it has to be centered. So tactically speaking, I look at staffing all the time, like just to ensure that we have adequate representation wherever we can. And while I don't interview for various teams that I don't work directly with, I just want to make sure that we have the right mix in place because if we get that wrong, then that has a cascading effect. The final part I'd love to sort of dig into there is speaking about, you mentioned staffing, and right now you know, people could think about DEI as being a statistics exercise and sort of looking at things at the macro level and making sure they they fit certain distributions or they or they end up in looking like a certain way. When in reality, like on the ground, it's all about the individual organizational team members. And so how do you think about the nuances of diversity, equity, and inclusion from looking at it like at an individual team level, like right down to the makeup of the individuals on each team and how the difference in cultures, countries, ages, and everything else can come together and, and the opportunities that can come from that and also the challenges that can arise from that as well. Yeah, Statistically speaking, teams are diverse teams do much better. They perform better almost every metric. Is there work to be done to ensure that those teams operate in a way where every single member feels like they're part of the team? Absolutely. Culture setting is huge. Making sure that people feel like they're seen and heard is huge. And that sort of comes from the top. So yeah, I 100% agree that it's not just box checking, that we can't just put people in a room together but that it matters what that experience is like. And I think starting with empathy, that's, that's a huge place, making sure that it's a part of a company's DNA, that we, are, that we come to a place with the understanding that every single human has value. And every single person on my team, no matter their level, their race, their background, their gender, their um, gender identity, that all of that is value and all of that is going to make our team stronger. And it's not hard to do these days, but you just have to be intentional about it and thinking about it and making it a priority set from the top of the company. I think that's the final key things there right at the end is that you have to be intentional. Like It won't just happen on its own. You won't wake up one morning and, and diversity and inclusion will be will be magically have appeared throughout your organization if it was never there. That intentionality is so is just so key. And so finally then, like for someone who wants to, for a leader who wants to take that first step of really trying to, to, to transition or put diversity, equity, inclusion at the forefront of their organization, like what would be the first step on that journey for them that having listened to us today, if they want to go away and do that tomorrow, like what would you, what would be your advice for them to start doing on day one? I think have an honest look at your team and your people, your product, and really, really get honest and really get real about it. And I think coming to the table, being honest is super important. I think also like assuming and that we should be honest about the fact that change is hard. 
change is hard for individuals because we all come to this world with all these backgrounds and everything about us that makes us who we are. While it can be harnessed and it's valuable and it's wonderful, it, it's hard for us to change as individuals. It's harder to change a company. It's even harder to change an industry. So I 100% get that. I feel like we do hard things all the time, especially in advertising, especially in media and innovation. We solve huge problems, but how powerful will it be for us to solve to solve this one? Getting honest, having a feedback loop with your people, with your customers is half the battle, and then actually doing something that's impactful. Don't just be introspective, but actually start. And I think if you're a marketer, that could be investing in more diverse media companies. It could be thinking about how do I alter my products. It's going to be different depending on whatever company you're in. And it should not be, it should, my diversity, equity, inclusion strategy should not look like Meta's. It should not look like any other companies. Every other company has to come to the space with what their superpowers are. And if they do that, fantastic things will happen. I'll give you an example of how we sort of approach work in general, is that we are an influencer marketing company, first and foremost. We know how to do that better than anyone in the world. And so we get behind organizations like Rock the Vote, Big Brothers Businesses of America. Like, How do we help these companies make huge change? We partner with a ton of Black-owned media companies, including Group Black and Essence. How do we power their influencer marketing so they could be stronger companies? So these things are not DEI per se, but it's how influential can show up to make a difference. And I think if every company did that and figured out, like, what is my company's superpower? How can we help in a way that's authentic to us and a way that each employee can take their day-to-day job, what they do every single day, and apply it to a cause and apply it to this work and apply it to making to making the world a more equitable and fair place, then you have, then you can harness sort of the magic that the company has. And then it comes from an authentic place. So obviously we're all going to do baseline mentorship and training and development and all those things. I do think companies have to think about what we're really, really, really good at. And let's take that and apply it to this really big problem. Lataria. Thank you very much for sharing all the insights around diversity, equity, inclusion from your time in the industry, as well as all the work that you do currently at Influence. Thank you so much, Jordan. No worries. It's great. It's been great to have you on board. We hope you enjoyed this episode and would like to give a special thank you to today's guest, Lataria Coy, for sharing her expertise and time with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. 